0: Good morning, my name is Michael Mattis and I pastor Saltbox Church in Wilmington, North Carolina. But I do wanna extend a warm welcome to any of you, anywhere you're tuning in, anywhere you're joining us. This is about preaching and lifting the name of Jesus and we wanna extend a warm invitation to you. As a church here in Wilmington, we are gathering again in person at 9 a.m. Um, in 9300 Industrial Boulevard every Sunday. We're also right here online at 10 a.m. every Sunday and you can follow along on our podcast and several other places. But we're in the middle of our Beautiful Attitudes series and we're actually looking at Matthew 5:7 today. And it, the, the Beatitudes or the Beautiful Attitudes start off the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the closest thing that Jesus really does to kind of a manifesto and he sets the ball um, so incredibly high it is absolutely impossible for us to reach it. He he sets the bar so high that the only way we can experience uh, the type of life that he describes is literally to lay our life down before God and to take up the life of Christ. And the the other thing that I love about the Sermon on the Mount is it's this um, abject counterculture, like it goes against everything uh, that 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 culture was actually doing or even saying at the time. I, I remember there was a pastor friend of mine when I, I was young, I was a kid and I was just starting to kind of walk with the Lord and I went to a public middle school and um, I was like sharing Jesus and preaching Jesus. And I remember this pastor friend sat down with me and he said, uh, Michael, are you always going to go against the grain? And I remember looking back at him going, is there any other way to go? I mean, Jesus cut against everything. He cut against the religious people. He cut against Rome. He cut against the norms of the day. He changed even uh, the view on women. I mean, he, he, he unleashed so much counterculture. And even the, the logo that we've chosen for this um, Beautiful Attitude series is the one tree that stands out. It's, it's, it's different. And that is what Jesus is literally preaching and calling us to as we open these beatitudes. So it's almost like he takes our kingdom, whatever your kingdom or your life is, and he's going to flip it right side up. He's going to make it right. So here we are this morning. We are in Matthew 5, and I'm going to read just one verse, verse 7. Um, then I'm going to uh, flip over and read Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15. And then I'm going to uh, finish with James 2, verses 13, and um, so just three, three quick uh, reads, but let's do this together. I'd invite you to take out your Bible, actually get out your Bible if you're sitting in your living room, get out a pen, get out a little piece of paper. You know, a lot of times um, the Holy Spirit of God will actually speak to us Uh, when we're attentive and turn to him. So maybe you're listening to someone speak, uh, maybe you're worshiping, maybe you're in the word. But I find that if I don't jot a note down when I think I've heard something from God, then I get past that situation and I go, ah, surely that wasn't really God. And I move on with my day. And it's not long before I don't look back and go, hmm, I think I missed it. So here's, here's my invitation is get out a real Bible, a paper Bible, get out a pen, get out a notes, and begin to actually just write some things down and let the Lord even use his word. James talks about the word being a mirror that we gaze into. You can actually know God and then know yourself in this word. So uh, Matthew, six, or Matthew 5, excuse me, um, chapter 7, and we'll start right there. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Christ Jesus is sitting at a place called Aramis Heights on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. The the lake would have most likely been behind him and the crowds of people would have been in front of him. And he's sitting in a place where he could speak in a normal voice and the acoustics off the lake are such that his voice would have just carried. And he said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, here's what he says right after he teaches us how to pray the Lord's Prayer, but here's what he says then. He says, verse 14, for if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. And then James 2, verse 13, because Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful, for mercy triumphs over judgment. Holy Spirit, as we're here this morning, would you enliven our hearts? Would you change us? Would you fill us? Would you take this word? And would you shape us, O Lord? Would you move afresh in each of our lives? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I, I think the first thing that I want to sort of point out or or look at is um, you can't say that you um, earn mercy or that you um, merit mercy or, or or that you earn forgiveness or that you merit uh, forgiveness. Um, by by giving it. So so you you can look at those three verses that I just read and you could walk away and go, oh my goodness, I have to actually earn my forgiveness or earn the mercy that God gives me by giving it away. And I I think if you took that away at this moment, that's a misnomer. I think that's a wrong interpretation and application. Rather, I think what's being said here is we cannot um, receive uh, the mercy of God or the forgiveness of God unless we repent. That's just a church word of sin agree with God. It's it's not even a church word, it's a Bible word, repent. It's turn and and agree um, with God. But you can't receive the mercy of God or the forgiveness of God without repenting. And and we can't claim to have repented of our sins if we're unmerciful to others. So so if you're unforgiving or if you're unmerciful to people around you, I would actually call you to go, uh, have you truly received mercy? Have you truly received the forgiveness of God? You know, it's really funny um, because Abby and I right now, um, I'm gonna date myself here, but Abby and I uh, have been watching this funny TV series called Cobra Kai and it 's a remake of the old karate kid movies, which I think those were made in '84 ish maybe so I would have been three or four when those were made and I remember sort of growing up and watching those, and we 've been watching this silly little uh, remake of it and but what 's fascinating to me is um, it 's a group of kids who 's learning karate, and one of the um, one of these karate schools or karate um, um, i guess dojos I think it 's called but it, it, their their slogan is no mercy, and what's fascinating is the product of a people with no mercy is actually lived out in this show. So I'm literally getting ready to preach on, um, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. And we're watching this silly thing on Netflix or something, I don't know where it is. And literally their, their motto is no mercy. And what happens is you follow a group of students as they learn a lifestyle of no mercy. And what you actually begin to see is they become arrogant, they become angry and they become bullies. So, so people that are not merciful um, indicate that they have not received the mercy of God, they have not received the forgiveness of God, and they indicate um, that, that probably inside they are void and bankrupt of true spiritual life in Jesus. So it, it, you could actually even say, we talked about meekness a couple weeks ago, but, but you could actually say um, that, that meekness, that's an attitude towards um, God, Uh, and and mercy is that same attitude but towards people. So so we're meek towards God. In other words, we're humble um, before him, and then uh, we are merciful towards the people around us. So I I think the other thing that's fascinating here is um, the first uh, four Beatitudes sort of reveals this uh, relentless kind of spiritual progression, and each step sort of overflows to the next step. So uh, here's, here's and, and in some ways, each step presupposes that you've already um, arrived at or experienced the step before it. So here's what I mean. Poor in spirit means that you're acknowledging your own bankruptcy before God. I can't measure up, I can't do it, but Jesus, you can, would you forgive me, would you fill me? Then it's blessed are those who mourn, which means um, to mourn over uh, the effects of sin reigning both in your own life and in the world, and then to repent of that sin so that Jesus can fill you. And then we have meek, blessed are the meek, which which really means that we talked about the Greek word praeus, but what that literally means is a God-controlled life. To be meek is a life that's uh, fully surrendered um, to God. And then we talked about blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and it's a it's a deep like uh, hunger, a deep thirst that takes you to the edge of life, and and it's a hunger that God would replace our brokenness and our sin with His righteousness. So the first four Beatitudes really deal um, with how we relate to God. And, and what's interesting is right here, or blessed are the merciful, there's this uh, shift in what Jesus is teaching, and he's literally shifting, and he's now going to deal with four Beatitudes that deal with how we relate to people. And that's, that's probably most closely mirrors um, the greatest command. Remember what Jesus actually said? We read it last week, but Jesus actually said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest command. And the second, greatest command is just like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, he's, he's mirroring that. What's beautiful about the scriptures is as you study them, you see the character of God that is resolute and unchangeable and immutable from Genesis to Revelation. It's absolutely brilliant. But but you see the same um, thing here. So the first four have to do with, are you loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength? And then the second four Beatitudes shift and they're like, how do you now relate to people? So, so now that you've kind of gotten your heart in order before God with these first four Beatitudes, now turn and relate to your brothers and sisters in this way. So literally, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. It's not saying you earn mercy uh, because you're merciful to people. No, no, what it's actually saying is you demonstrate that you've received the forgiveness of God and you've received the mercy of God because you're able to turn around and extend grace, forgiveness, and mercy to all of those around you. And you truly know that someone has the fingerprints of God and the molding of God and has been chiseled and shaped by the presence of God if they are a person who is able to extend grace and extend mercy and extend forgiveness. I would say, Conversely, you know that if a person cannot extend grace and cannot extend mercy and cannot extend forgiveness, then they have not been with King Jesus. They do not understand the work of the cross and they have not been filled with his spirit. So the first point this morning is that our God is literally a merciful God, the God of the Bible is a merciful God, and he shows mercy uh, continuously, and, and the citizens of his kingdom must show mercy also. So I am obligated, if I am in Christ and Christ is in me, I am obligated, therefore, that I must be merciful to my fellow brothers and sisters. So an indicator of whether that mercy is active in my life is how um, readily I extend it. Am I stingy with mercy? Am I stingy with grace? Am I stingy with forgiveness? Or am I able to actually readily give it? Because that's an indicator of how deeply God's mercy and God's forgiveness and God's grace has been worked into my being. So, number one, our God is a merciful God that shows mercy continuously and calls us as citizens of his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. I'll remind you, you're not first a citizen of America if you're in Christ, no, no. You're first a citizen of heaven. And we are obligated as citizens of heaven to show mercy also. So, number two, my second point is that that biblical mercy, and we're gonna like we're going to have to dig into this just a little bit to actually understand why I'm saying this, but biblical mercy is, is literally uh, it's the ability to sort of um, step inside another person's skin until you can see things with their eyes and feel things with their feelings and look at the world through their set of experiences and now let me, let me back off of that and, and then sort of build and help you understand why that is so Mercy in Greek um, is, is elios and it means compassion for those in need. So you see someone in need and, and all of a sudden you have um, compassion. Th- this mercy would extend relief. This mercy would cure. This mercy um, would heal. This mercy would help. This mercy would serve. And, and then similarly, grace in the New Testament um, Greek is, is charis and, or charis, and, and that's always going to deal with the actual sin and the guilt from that sin itself. So, so grace extends pardon where it's not deserved. Um, grace cleanses, grace reinstates, grace welcomes back in, grace covers the wrong. But, but here's the thing, so let me take a step even back from those two. You, you can't really understand um, fully the Greek of the New Testament which, which out, without understanding the, the Hebrew and Aramaic roots that most of the writers had when they penned the New Testament. So go with me here. In the Old Testament, um, the, the kind of the equivalent for mercy um, is a Hebrew word, chesed said. And it's actually not able to be translated. Like it is so beyond the human experience. There is not a word that can even Um, There is nothing that can describe this, but if I was forced to put chesed into um, a word, it would be the Lord's loving kindness. In other words, um, God extends chesed, God extends his loving kindness into situations where um, his loving kindness, his grace, his mercy is unmerited. It it is not deserved. It has not been earned. And so this all-loving, all-powerful God extends chesed, the loving kindness, into situations so, so in the New Testament chesed um, uh, uh, is is most often translated as grace so now here's here's um, probably where it gets interesting Um Chesed, literally, uh, when we use that word as how one person relates to another, literally means uh, that you get inside another person's skin, that you literally see with their eyes, that you feel with their feelings, that you understand from their perspective. Uh, so, so quite literally, um, <clears throat> this means experiencing things together uh, with another person, uh, literally going through what that other person is going through. That, that's what Galatians 6.2 means when it says, carry one another's burdens. Literally carry one another's burdens. It means understand what that person's feeling, have fellow feelings, carry it with them, see what they see, feel what they feel, experience what they experience. That's what it means to come alongside a brother or sister who's in crisis, like literally take some of the load for them. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says, we comfort other people with the same type of comfort we've received from God, that's literally what this chesed means. It means that um, we we step into another person's full experience and we see through their eyes. So you know this is funny, but um, Abby and I, in our marriage, um, we've we've read the book and looked at the book, the Five Love Languages, and this is. Uh, It's so funny, but early on in our dating um, and even early on in our marriage, um, I would actually uh, be vulnerable and say, I have tried to love Abby uh, the way I wanna be loved. So this is what that means. Um, So in in the five love languages, um, I'm probably a words of affirmation, that's how I feel loved. Uh, I'm an acts of service um, and I'm touch. Abby's not any of those. You know, she's quality time and, and she's gifts. And so I've spent much of our early marriage um, trying to love Abby like she wants to be loved. No, no, like I want to be loved. So I I kept uh, running into sort of this brick wall early on in our marriage because I'm like, man, I'm doing everything that I think translates to me what it means to be loved. And yet... Uh, not looking at life through her lens, through her feelings, through her experience. And once I began to get this and sort of the light bulb came on into my head, it was like, oh my goodness, I'm trying to love Abby like I wanna be loved, not like she wants to be loved. And there was probably a shift in our marriage and relationship at that point because I actually began to uh, get in her skin a little bit and look at the world through her eyes to actually understand things from her perspective, to begin to feel even with her feelings there was something really kind of funny that happened early on, but we hadn't been dating very long. And I'm a, um, I love plants. I'm a landscaper by trade. And I bought these two big um, kind of clay pot things. They're real pretty blue. And I thought, man, she's going to love this. This is so great. And so I filled them with dirt. And then I planted just tons of beautiful flowers, just filled them with flowers. And I was like, man, this is great. Um, She'll she'll just think this is wonderful. And there's like draping vines coming out and there's some spikes coming up and all this different color. And then I took him over to her for her birthday. And I think it was like her 25th birthday or something. And I gave him to her and she actually got upset. And I was like, what? And in her mind, she was literally going, Michael, I work like way out in Southport. I drive to Orton Plantation every single day. That's a place on the way to Southport. So I'm in the car, you know, hour and a half a day, and then I'm working out there eight or nine hour days, and I have this little dog that I'm always taking care of. I'm not home. I'm not gonna be able to water these plants and keep them alive. And I actually sat there, and it it took me a couple of days to sort of work this thing through, because I was like, "She, uh, she doesn't like my flowers. She doesn't like this gift that I was so convinced that she would like. And as we talked about it and as we processed it, uh, what actually came to light is, um, she would have loved some cut flowers that she could water once and put on the counter and that was kind of the end of it. And I brought her these big, Pots that required constant maintenance and fertilization and weeding and watering and whatever, and she was sort of overwhelmed by the whole thing. And what I began to learn from early on is what makes a marriage successful, uh, what makes a friendship successful, what makes business partnerships successful, what makes roommates successful, <clears throat> what makes any human relationship successful is literally your ability to have mercy, chesed, your ability to um, get into the other person's skin, your ability to to see through their eyes, your ability to feel what they feel, your ability to think like they're thinking. I'm, I'm amazed at how long Abby and I have dated and now even been married, but still, if I will actually pause and, and attempt to understand what she's saying. I mean, we can have a big old frou-frou or a blow-up or whatever, and when I stop and listen and seek to understand, that's a Stephen Covey thing, I think in the seven habits of highly effective people. He said, um, seek to understand before attempting to be understood. He just took the, the first and second greatest commandment from Jesus, he just, he just literally took this um, and, and blessed are the merciful, said literally, get in the other person's skin and understand from their perspective. And then all of a sudden, your compassion for them rises. Your ability to understand why they said what they said makes sense. Your ability to understand why they did what they did makes sense. And all of a sudden, your ability to actually extend forgiveness or extend grace or extend mercy is suddenly increased exponentially because you understand where they're coming from. I could tell you story after story of people that I've interacted with who, at first interaction, were ugly or even angry or. You, know, you fill in the blank, and as I dig back and I begin to ask some questions about how they're doing, they're sick, or a family member is sick, or they're in financial duress, or they're facing a crisis, or they've lost a loved one. There's something so powerful that happens when you cannot take the interaction necessarily at face value, but you can take a step back and go, okay, there's something going on here that I don't fully understand, and if I could understand it more fully, if I could see through their eyes and feel through their feelings and grasp what they're saying, and even have the history of their experiences behind me, then I might be able to extend grace, extend mercy, and extend forgiveness. There was a novel uh, that I read when I was a kid, and it's actually very pertinent for what's going on right now in America. But the novel was called uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, written by, I think, a lady named Harper Lee. And uh, there was this um, quote in there by one of the characters named Atticus Finch, and he's, he's actually talking to Scout. Um, and he says, you never really understand a person until you consider things from their point of view, until you climb into their skin and walk around a bit. Listen to me, Harper Lee, the author, literally understood Old Testament Chesed because you—the the door to giving grace to people, the door to giving mercy to people, the door to giving forgiveness to people, the door to uh, even bridging huge gaps, whether they are um, socioeconomic or political or racial or anything else—the the, the bridge to overcoming these huge divides is actually Chesed. It is getting into that person's skin. It is feeling what feelings, uh, thinking their thoughts, seeing how they view the world, looking at things through their experiences, and all of a sudden, your own grace, your own mercy, your own ability to extend mercy and grace to that person just increases. I'm convinced that even in my own life, if I could carry and remember and, and, and never lose, that there's always a reason why a person thinks as they do. There's always a reason why a person acts as they do. There's always a reason why a person does almost everything they do. And if we can seek to understand that reason, if we can find even that reason, it becomes much easier to sympathize, much easier to forgive, much easier to extend mercy. So number one, our God is a merciful God who shows mercy continuously. And he calls us as citizens of the kingdom of heaven to also extend mercy. Biblical mercy, point number two, is the ability, chesed, to literally get inside the skin of another person and see and feel and experience with their eyes. And then my third point today is, and I love this, I love this, but Jesus came as a man in other words Jesus was fully god and yet he came as a man he saw things with human eyes he felt things with human feelings he thought things with a human brain. Jesus literally knows what life and planet Earth is like because he actually came. He came off of his throne as creator God. John 1, in the beginning was God. And, and, and In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Literally, Jesus came off of his throne, creator God, and he came down here as fully human and walked among us. He literally fulfilled said He literally put on human skin and journeyed with us, anything that you've felt, anything that I've felt, anything that we've struggled with, Jesus felt. Jesus saw. Jesus tasted. Jesus literally stepped out of his kingly garments. He stepped out of who he was as this creator God, and he stepped into human skin. He took on even the limitations that we humans have. He literally fulfilled Old Testament chesed by stepping into the human frame and the human experience and going to that cross on planet earth. And he died the same way we're going to die. And then he beat death and he beat hell and he resurrected and he broke forever the chains of sin and the chains of shame and the chains of death. That said was the thing that he did that overcame everything. It is literally the fulfillment of the good news of the gospel of Christ Jesus because he took on humanity. He became one of us. See, God is not some remote, detached, isolated, or or distant figure. I I don't know why, but I think we in America here tend to think of God as all those things, detached, uh, remote, isolated, um, distant. Uh, When I was a kid, the the imagery was sort of um, dad would sit over off to the side, and this isn't my dad, but the imagery of dads would sit over off to the side and open the newspaper, and you you sort of have this division of the newspaper between you and the family, or watching the news, or watching football, or or whatever it it, it was, but you have dads who are relatively disattached, dads who are remote, dads who are um, in some ways shut off emotionally, or shut off from sharing, they're relatively passive, they're they're not fully engaged uh, with their kids and life's now changed. In other words, we don't get newspapers anymore, but I think the new newspaper is the, is the smartphone and we're doing this number, scrolling articles, looking at social media. And that thing becomes the same thing that, that creates um, distance or disattachment or, or separation. And, and yet uh, oftentimes we as humans actually begin to think about a heavenly father or a creator God in the same terms that we think about an earthly father. So maybe you go, Mike, I didn't even know my earthly father. And I would say you may need to even look inward at your own heart to go, have you created a heavenly father that's like your earthly father and has abandoned you or left you? who doesn't care about you, who isn't like intimately concerned and wanting to be involved in your life and know what's literally happening. God is not remote. God is not disattached. He is not isolated. He is not disconnected. He's not behind a newspaper. He's not stuck on his smartphone scrolling. No, no, no. He literally said, he stepped out of heaven into earth. He became one of us, he walked with us, he journeyed with us, he felt the feelings we feel, he felt the temptation, he felt the suffering, he felt the pain, he has been here and he sinned not. He went all the way to the cross, he was crucified, dead, Buried and he broke the chains of death and hell once and for all. If you and I will but come to him and ask for mercy, ask for forgiveness, ask for grace. And as he changes us and as he fills us, suddenly then we turn around and we are called to be literally a part of extending then his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness to a very lost and a very broken world. Listen to me. My Jesus is not bothered by where America is right now. My Jesus is not wringing his hands over what's happening in our nation, either socially or politically or with health or in any other arena. No, no, no. He is actually stepping back and he is orchestrating like a chessboard that people would come to the point where they will humble themselves before a holy God, recognize that he chesed, stepped from heaven down to earth, became one of us, and died and rose again so that we as people would surrender our lives to him. And I am convinced that we are standing on the great precipice of the greatest opportunity that we have ever seen in my lifetime or yours. We are standing at a time in history where we have grown so cold and we have turned away from God. We have turned our backs upon him. And what that says to me is he is allowing certain things across this land and around the world that will actually cause people to call a time out in their lives and to recalibrate and to get their eyes back on him. Chesed. He became. He stepped out of heaven. He put on human skin. He is not remote. He is not disattached. He is not unfeeling. He is not passive. He is engaged. He is interested. He wants to know you. He wants to walk with you. That's why I'm always saying, get in your Bible, get in a journal, get in some worship, because he wants to actually engage with you. Not that you would clean up the outside, but that you would let him clean up and change the inside, that you would journey with King Jesus, not only this day, but every day day. One theologian then, back to our verse, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. One theologian that I like translated it this way. How happy, how blessed is the person who gets right inside other people. Until they can see with their eyes, until they can think their thoughts, until they can feel their feelings. For the person who does that will find others that do the same for them and will know that that is what God in Christ Jesus has done for you and for me. Said. If you want a marriage that works, if you want a relationship. That works, if you want business partnerships that work, if you want a roommate situation that works, if you want friendships that work, you begin to understand that this God understands what you feel. He's got fellow feelings and he'll walk with you in them. And as you receive mercy from him, then you can turn around and extend those same fellow feelings, extend those same uh, ability to understand thoughts and perceptions to the people that are in your life. And I'm telling you, relationship will because anytime you introduce the presence and the power of Jesus, he always brings with him this Old Testament said, this ability to get inside another person and think and see what they think and see. If you're here today, if you're watching, if you're listening, if you're online, I don't know where you are, but if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life, and I use that word intentionally, I don't much believe that we can just accept Jesus I, I can accept all sorts of things. That, what this Bible actually says is you have to come and you lay it all down. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. So when I say surrender, I'm sort of um, using that same imagery. Jesus said, how do you become a Christian? Well, take up your cross and follow me. Well, how do you become a Christian? You surrender your life to him, not part of it. You don't come and say, well, I'm gonna hold on to this and I'm gonna hold on to this and I'm gonna do this. No, 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 you come to him and you surrender it all. If you're out there and you're tuned into this and you've, you've never surrendered it all. Pray with me. It's a simple prayer, but it's a supernatural prayer. And it goes something like this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that I'm broken, and I recognize that my view of you has been largely inaccurate. And Lord, I'm hearing today, maybe for the first time, that you actually stepped into the human experience. You chesed, you stepped into the human, um, uh, the whole journey and you know what I feel and you wanna walk with me and you wanna know me. And so today, I choose to believe that you came to earth, that you lived a perfect life, that you went to a cross and died so that I don't have to and that you overcame death, that you overcame hell, that you rose again. So on this day, Lord Jesus, would you come into my heart? Would you fill me? Would you change me? And would you make me new? In your name we pray. Amen. If you're following online or anywhere else and you prayed that prayer, get in touch with us. There's a phone number. There's an email address. We'd love to get a Bible in your hands. We'll send it to you for free. We'd love to help you get plugged into a great church. We'd love to even talk to you about praying to be filled with the Spirit. And we'd love to help you get into uh, healthy relationships as you get to know this Jesus. And then I would shift my gaze just as we close here. And I would say, listen to me. Church, Listen to me, Christians. Listen to me, people that call themselves Jesus people. If you cannot extend mercy and grace and forgiveness, if you cannot extend, if you cannot grasp the chesed, if you cannot get inside someone else's experience and have compassion on them and fellow feelings with where they're walking, I would actually say to you today, you may need to go back to the source and go, Lord Jesus, I have not drunk fully of your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness because I find myself unable to give it. That is the place, church, where you can begin again and go, Lord Jesus, would you teach me the way of your loving kindness? Would you teach me the way of your chesed? Because he wants to meet you, not just this day, but every day. Father, in closing, as we wrap up this service gathering online, Lord, I pray that you would bring fresh revelation to this family and to anyone who's listening about how you want to meet us and walk with us, about how you see through our eyes and even feel what we're feeling, how you want to experience it and journey with us, not just this day, but every single day from now until the day we depart planet Earth. And Father, not only that, I pray for this church family that as we grasp you as the loving father that you are, that you would then empower us and galvanize us and call us to be a group of people who is so radical in our mercy and so radical in our grace and so radical in our forgiveness and so radical in our love that the cities in which you've planted us can never be the same because the very power of God has descended upon them in human form because you fill us and live your life in us. Father, bless this group as we go today. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.